voice, welcome to Voices of Church Past. I am your host, Rob Barnhart. Going to be going over one of the Luther sermons. Instead of reading his uh, sermon given on Palm Sunday, which <coughs> Jay directs in the book, it directs us to revisit his sermon given on the first Advent, first Sunday of Advent. So, instead, I'm going to read a different sermon where he, uh, it's unattached to his particular Sunday. It probably was either a Sunday school lesson or something like that that they recorded and put in this book. So, since we're in search of a new text, a new sermon, I figured, why not visit one of Luther's sermons given on the Lord's su Supper? <coughs> we must speak of the Lord's Supper. We said above that no one should be compelled to commune at any special time, but that this should be left free. It remains for us to speak of the two elements of the Lord's Supper. I have already said that among us, one element alone is not to be offered to the communicant. He who wants the Lord's Supper should receive the whole of it. We have preached and practiced this long enough and cannot assume that there should be anyone unable to understand it. Yet if there not be one... Yet if there be one so dense or claiming to be so weak that he cannot grasp the true meaning of it, we will excuse him. And it's just as well that he remains away. For anyone to hear God's word so long, to have himself coddled like a child, and after all continue saying, I do not understand, is no good sign. For it is impossible for you to hear so long and still be unenlightened. Since you then remain blind, it is better for you not to receive the Lord's Supper. We cannot grasp the word that is bright, clear, and certain. We need not grasp the sacrament, for the sacrament would be nothing. There were no word. Moreover, this word has now resounded again and again throughout the whole world, so that even they who oppose it know it. These, however, are not weak, but hardened. They set their heads against the doctrine. They hear us through from scriptures with such clearness that they are unable to reply or establish the contrary. Yet they simply remain in the Romish church, trying to force us to follow them. Therefore, it is out of the question for us any longer to yield or to endure them, since they defy us and maintain that they're right what they teach and practice. Hence, we wish to receive both the elements of the Lord's Supper, this because they wish to prevent us from having one. thought of causing offense no longer applies to those people. But if there were a locality where the gospel had not been heard, it would be proper in a Christian to adapt oneself for a time to those who are weak, as also we did in the beginning when our cause was entirely new. Now, however, since so much oppression is offered, so many efforts at violent suppression are made, forbearance is out of the question. It is moreover a fine example of God's providential ruling and guidance that the Lord's Supper is not devoid of persecution, for in instituting it, he intended it to be a token, a mark, whereby we might be identified as Christians, for if we were without it, we would be impossible to tell where to find the Christians, and who are Christians, and where the gospel has borne fruit. But when we go to the Lord's Supper, people can see who they are that have heard the gospel. Moreover, can they observe where whether we lead Christian lives? So this is a distinctive mark whereby we are recognized. 
whereby we also confess the name of God and show that we are not ashamed of the word. When now the Pope sees me going to the Lord's Supper, receiving both elements, the bread and the wine, according to the gospel, it is a testimony that I am determined to cling to the gospel. If he then grows angry and endeavors to slay me, it is just as it was in the early days of Christianity. What if Christians confess God in the same way by the token of the Lord's Supper? Our bishops have forbidden both elements as contrary to God's ordinance of command. If now we mean to confess Christ, we must receive both elements, so that people may know that we are Christians and abide by the word of God. If for this cause they slay us, we ought to bear it, knowing that God will abundantly restore life to us again. Hence it is proper for us to suffer persecution on this account. Otherwise, if everything were to go smoothly, there would be no real confession. In this way, we remain in the right state, always expecting shame and disgrace, yet even death for the Lord's sake, as it was in the ancient church. Furthermore, I said it is not enough to go to the Lord's Supper, unless you are assured and know a defense to which you can refer. It's a foundation and reason that you do right in going. In order that you may be armed when attacked and able to defend yourself with the word of God against the devil in the world, on this account you dare not commune on the strength of another's faith. You must defend yourself as well as I defend myself. Therefore, above all, you must know the words of Christ used in instituting the Lord's Supper. They are these. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he took the cup when he supped and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Take, drink ye all of it. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the remissions of sins. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. These are the words which neither our opponents nor Satan are able to deny. On them we must stand. Let them make whatever comments they please. We have the clear word of God, saying the bread is Christ's body given for us, and the cup his blood shed for us. This he bids us to do in remembrance of him, but the Pope commands that it not be done. While they say we are only erring laymen, we do not understand, nor are we able to explain the words. But we reply, it is for us to explain just as much as it is for them. For we are commanded to believe in Christ, to confess our faith, to keep all the commandments of God, as well as they are. For we have the same God they claim to have. How then are we to believe without knowing and understand his words? Since I am commanded to believe, I must know the words I am to believe. For how can I believe without the words? Moreover, it is my duty to stand firm. I must know how to defend myself and how to refute the arguments to the contrary. This is how you can stop their mouths and bring them to silence. My faith must be as good as yours. Therefore, I must have and must know the word as well as you. For example, the evangelist here says, Jesus took the cup and gave it to his disciples, drink ye all of it. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for you. These words are certainly clear enough, for there is no one so stupid that he cannot understand what is meant by it. Take, drink ye all of it. This cup is of the New Testament in my blood. Therefore, we reply, unless they can prove to us that drinking here signifies something different from what all the world understands by the term, we shall stick to the interpretation that we are to drink the cup. Let them bring forward what they may please, customs, councils. We reply, God is older and greater than all things. 
Likewise, the word declared, This do in remembrance of me. Tell me, who is to remember the Lord? Is it said to these priests alone, and not to all Christians, to remember the Lord? What is that but to preach him and confess him? And if we are to remember the Lord in his supper, it must certainly be committed to receive both elements. To eat the bread and drink the cup, this surely no one can deny. Therefore, there is no use for you to cover up these words and tell us that we are not to know them. We are not to know them. What are you here for? You claim to be a shepherd. Therefore, you ought to be here to teach those words and preach them to me. And now, by your own rotten defense, you are forced to confess your own shame and bite your tongue, having so shamefully spoken in contradiction of the truth. Thus you see how we are to understand the words of the institution of the Lord's Supper, for we firmly hold to them, for in them all virtue is centered. We all must know them, understand them, and cling to them in faith, so as to be able to defend ourselves and repulse the foe. When you wish to go to the Lord's Supper, listen to the words spoken, and be assured that they contain the whole treasure which you are to stand and rely, for they are really spoken to you. My body is given, my blood is shed, Christ declares, why? Is it for you to eat and drink? No, but for the remission of sins. This is what strikes you. That everything else that is done and said has no other purpose than that your sins may be forgiven. But if it is to serve for the forgiveness of sins, it must also be able to overcome death. Where sin is gone, there are death is gone, and hell besides. Where these are gone, all sorrow is gone, and all blessedness is come. Here, here the great treasure lies, on this keep your eyes, and dismiss the follies which occupy, and trouble the great schools when they inquire how the body of Christ could be present and concealed in so small a space. Be not puzzled about the marvel, but cleave to the word, and endeavor to obtain the benefit of the Lord's Supper, namely that your sins be forgiven. Therefore you must act so that the words mean you. This will be when you feel the sting and terror of your sin, the assault of the flesh and the world and of the devil. At one time you are angry and impatient, and at another you are assailed by love of money, the cares of life, so that you are constantly attacked. And at times even gross sins arise, and you fall and injure your soul. Thus you are a poor, wretched creature, afraid of death, despondent and unable to be happy. Then it is time, and you have reason enough to go. Make confession, confide your distress to God, saying, Lord, thou hast instituted, left us the sacrament of thy body and blood, that in it we may find the forgiveness of sins. I now feel that I need it. I have fallen into sin. I am full of fear and despair. I am not bold to confess thy word. I have all these failings. Therefore I come now. Thou mayest heal, comfort, and strengthen me. For this reason I made the statement that the Lord's Supper is to be given only to him who is able to save, that in his condition that he must state what troubles him, he must long to obtain strength and consolation by the means of the word and the trouble. Let him who is unable to use the Lord's Supper in this way remain away, nor let him do like those who wretchedly torture themselves at this time, and they come to the sacrament and have no idea what they are doing. And when you received the Lord's Supper, go forth and exercise your faith. The sacrament serves to the end that you may be able to say, I have the public declaration that my sins are forgiven. Besides, my mouth has received the public symbol. This I can testify. 
as also I have testified before the devil and all the world. When death now and an evil conscience assail you, you can rely on this and defy the devil and sin, and thus strengthen your faith and gladden your conscience for God and amend your life day by day. For otherwise you would be slothful, cold, and longer you remained away, the more unfit you would be. If you feel that you are unfit, weak and lacking in faith, if only you obtain strength by fear, do you mean to wait until you have grown pure and strong? Then indeed you will never come. You will never obtain any benefit from Holy Communion. This is the right use of Lord's Supper, ser serving, not the torture. Comfort and gladden the conscience, for by instituting it for us, God did not intend uh, to be poison, to torture, to frighten us. This is what we made of it by our false doctrine, when we imagined we were to bring the offering of our piety to God, and hid the words that we were to give comfort and salvation, strengthen our consciences, refresh, gladden, free them from every distress. This is the meaning of the Lord's Supper. We are to look upon it only containing sweet grace, consolation, and life. It is poison and death to those who approach it with insolence, who feel no weakness, frailty, or distress to impel them who act as if they were pure and pious from the start. The Lord's Supper welcomes those who receive their frailties and feel that they are not pious, yet would like to be. Thus it all depends on their feeling. For we are all frail and sinful, only we do not all confess it. Let this suffice on how we ought to prepare ourselves to receive communion and conduct ourselves toward it, namely that we are to exercise and strengthen our faith by the words of the institution of the supper, to say that Christ's body and blood are given and shed for the remission of sins. These words sufficiently show the benefit, fruit, and use of the Lord's Supper, as far as partaking it for ourselves is concerned. The second thought springing from the first is Christian love. This also deserves attention. It is our duty to let the benefit and fruit of the Lord's Supper become manifest. We ought to show that we have received it with profit. We at present see it received throughout all the world in so many celebrations of the Mass, but where do you see the least fruit falling from them? Now this is the fruit, that even as we have eaten and drank the body and blood of Christ the Lord, we in turn permit ourselves to be eaten and drunk, and say the same word surname with cake, eat, and drink. This is by no means in jest, but in all seriousness, meaning to offer yourself with all your life, even as Christ did with all he had, sacramental words, as if to say, here I am, myself, given for you, treasure I do give to you, what I have, you shall have, when you are in want, then I will also be in want, take my righteousness, life and salvation, for neither sin nor death nor hell, nor any sorrow may ever come to you, as long as I am righteous and alive, so long shall you also be righteous and alive. These are the words he speaks to us. We must take and repeat them to our neighbor, not by the mouth alone, but by our actions, saying, Behold, my dear brother, I have received my Lord, he is mine. I have more than enough and great abundance. Now you take what I have, and it shall be yours. I have placed it at your disposal. If necessary for me to die for you, I will do even that. The goal placed before us in the Lord's Supper is that through payment, such conduct to our neighbor may appear in us. Of course, it is true we will not become so perfect that the one places his soul and body, goods and honor, at the disposal of the other. We will still live in the flesh, 
And this is so deeply rooted in us that we are unable to furnish the symbol and evidence perfectly as we should. On account of these short shortcomings, Christ has instituted the Lord's Supper for our training. And here we may obtain what we lack. What will you do when you miss in yourself what you have described? Must you even come and tell him, Behold, this is what I need. Thou dost give thyself to me so richly, abundantly, but I am not able to do likewise toward my neighbor. This I lament before thee. I pray thee, let me grow rich and strong enough to accomplish it. Though it is impossible for us to reach such perfection, we are nevertheless to sigh for it, and not to despair when we fall short, only so to desire to obtain it continue in our hearts. Yet the least part of love, devotion, is not the sacrifice of my pride. I can indeed give my neighbor temporal goods and bodily service of my efforts and labor. I can also render him service by offering instruction and intercession. Likewise, I can visit and comfort him when he is sick and in sorrow, feed him when he is hungry, loose him when he is bound. But to bear my neighbor's weakness is still farther, far greater than these. Yet with us the trouble will always be that we will not be able to do it as perfectly as Christ did. He is the bright, radiant sun without a single shadow, whereas our light compares with this sun. It's only a gleaming bit of light, lighted straw. Yonder and flowing of his full of fire and perfect love, he is satisfied if we light only a little taper, endeavoring somewhat to let love shine forth and burn. This is the shortcoming we all see and feel in each, each other. But never let anyone conclude and say, this is not Christ. Contrary, see what he did in the gospel story when so often he suffered disciples to stray and stumble, making his wisdom yield and serve their folly. He condemns them not, but endures their weakness and tells them, Whether I go, you cannot come. But likewise to Peter, what I do thou knowest not now. With such love he abandons his righteousness, judgment, powers, vengeance, and punishment, and his authority over us and our sins. He could indeed condemn us for our folly, but all he does is to say, You do wrong, and you do not know, yet cast us not away, but comforts us. Therefore I said, there is no small evidence of love to be able to bear with one's neighbor, when he is weak in faith or in love. On the other hand, Christ dealing so kindly with his disciples has no permission for us to approve of human weakness or of sin. But later he tells Peter, What I do thou shalt understand hereafter. Here he merely gives his weakness time and bears with it. It is as though he said, I bear with your ignorance and your weak faith for your sake. I will spare you as long as you understand that you must do better and attend to later on, not that you may grow idle and secure. Therefore, when we have received the Lord's Supper, we must not allow ourselves to become indolent, but must be diligent and attentive to increase in love, aid our neighbor in distress, and lend him a helping hand when he suffers affliction and requires assistance. When you fail to do this, you are not a Christian, and only a weak Christian, or only a weak Christian, though you boast of having received the Lord and all that he is in the Lord's Supper. If, however, you would not be sure for taking profitably of the Lord's Supper, there is no better way than to observe your conduct towards your neighbor. 
you need not reflect on the great devoutness you experienced or on the sweetness of the words in your heart. These are indeed good thoughts, but they will not give you assurance. They may deceive you. However, you will be sure as to whether the sacrament is efficacious in your heart if you watch your conduct toward your neighbor. You discover that the words and symbols soften and move you to be friendly towards your neighbor, to take an interest in your neighbor's welfare and to help him bear his suffering and affliction and as well. On the other hand, if you do not find it so, you continue uncertain even if you were to commute a hundred times a day, a devotion so great as to move you to tears of this very joy, wonderful devotions like this, very sweet to experience, yet it's dangerous and sweet amount to nothing before God. Therefore, we must above all be certain of ourselves, give the more diligence to make a calling and election sure. The words of the sacrament are indeed certain in themselves, for God himself, together with all the angels and saints, testifies to this. The question is, in regard to yourself, whether you furnish the same testimony. Therefore, even if all the angels in the whole world were able to testify that you had received the Lord's Supper profitably, it would be weaker testimony than that furnished by yourself. This you cannot re reach unless you consider your, your conduct, whether it shines forth, works in you, and bears fruit. Now when fruit fails to appear, when you feel that you constantly remain just as you were, when you care nothing about your neighbor, then you have no, you know, you have reason to take a different attitude in these things. For this is no good sign. Even when Peter had to give the same who was godly and ready to die and do wonderful deeds for Christ, what then will you do? If you still experience evil desire, anger, impatience, you are again in trouble, and that should urge and impel you to go to Christ and lay it before him, saying, I partake of the Lord's Supper, still I remain as I was without fruit. I received a great treasure, yet it remains inactive and dormant within me. This I lay before thee, thou hast bestowed this treasure upon me. Grant now that it may also produce fruit and a new life within me, manifesting themselves toward my neighbor. Now when you begin a little to prove this, you will continually grow stronger and break forth the good deeds to your neighbor more day to day. For this life is nothing more than a life of faith, of love, of sanctified affliction. But these three will never be perfect in us while we live here on earth. No one possesses them in perfection except Christ. He is the Son, and is set for our example, which we must imitate. For this reason, there will always be found among us some that are weak, others that are strong, and again, some that are stronger. These are able to suffer less, those more. And so they must all continue in the imitation of Christ. For this life is a constant progress from faith to faith, from love to love, from patience to patience, from affliction to affliction. It is not righteousness, but justification. It's not purity, but purification. We have not yet arrived at our destination, but we are all on the road, and some are farther advanced than others. God is satisfied to find us busy at work and full of determination. When he is ready, he will completely strengthen faith and love, and is to take us from this life to heaven. But while we live on earth, we must bear with one another, as Christ also bore with us, seeing that no one of us is perfect. Christ has shown this to us not only by his example, but by his words. But he has also pictured it to us in the form of the sacrament of the altar. Namely, by the means of the bread and the wine, we believe 
that the true body and blood of Christ is under the bread and the wine, even as it is. Here we see one thing and believe another. Describes faith. For when we hear the word and receive the Lord's Supper, we have merely a word and an act. Yet by it we embrace life and every treasure, even God himself. Likewise, love is pictured in these signs and elements. First of all, in the bread, for as long as the grains of wheat are in a pile before they are ground, each is a body separate for itself and is not mingled with the others. But when they are ground, they all become one body. Same thing takes place with the wine. As long as the berries are not crushed, each retains its own form. But when they are crushed, they all flow together and become one drink. You cannot say this is the flower from the grain, or this is the drop from that berry, for each has entered the form of the other. Thus it was formed one bread and one drink. This is the interpretation of St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10.17. Seeing that we are, who are many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of one bread. We eat the Lord by faith of the word, which the soul consumes and enjoys. In this way, my neighbor who also eats me, I have given my goods, body, and life, and all that I have, and let him consume and use it in his want. Likewise, I also need my neighbor. I am poor, afflicted, and suffer him to help and serve me in turn. Thus we are woven into one another, helping one another, as Christ helped us. This is what it means spiritually to eat and drink one another. Let me now say in conclusion in regards to the Lord's Supper that when we received it, we ought to give heed to love. In this way, assure ourselves that we have received the sacrament properly and at the same time furnish evidence to others so that we may not always come and still continue on his chains. Therefore, as I said, I must turn from our devotions and thoughts to our conduct to our neighbor, examine ourselves in the mirror with all seriousness. The sacrament is to act upon us so that we may be transformed and become different people. For God's word and work do not intend to be idle, but are bound to produce great things, to wit, set us free from sin, death, and the devil, and every kind of fear, and make us servants even of the least among men on earth. And this without the slightest complaint on our part, rejoicing rather to find someone in need of our help, fearing only lest after receiving so much we may not apply it at all. Whenever the Lord's Supper fails to produce this result, there is reason to fear it has wrought injury. Nevertheless, even if the result is not great, we are not to reject those that are imperfect and weak, but those that are indolent and insolent, who imagine they have done enough when they have partaken of the sacrament. A change must take place in you, and there must be evidence of it. Then you will be able to perceive through the symbol that God is with you, and your faith will grow sure and strong. For you can easily feel whether you have grown more joyous and bold than you were before. Formerly the world seemed too narrow for us when we heard of death and thought of sin. But now we feel different and it's not because of our own strength. In the past we could not get so far. Although we put forth greater exertion and endeavored to help ourselves by means of works. Likewise you can feel whether you are kind to him who injured you. Whether you are merciful to him who is sick. Thus you can discover whether the Lord is producing any fruit through your life. If you continue to experience nothing, go to God and tell him your shortcomings and troubles. We must all do the same thing as long as we live. For as we have said, not one of us is perfect. For the present, 
lessest of fights on the subject. Martin Luther on the Lord's Supper. This has been the Voices of Church Past. I am your host, Rob Barnhart. Till we see, till we hear from each other once again, I pray the Lord keep you steadfast in the one true faith given unto the saints. May he persevere you in this life through trials and tribulations, persecutions, sin, death, and the devil. So one day in faith, we will all be before Christ. Free from sin, free from death, perfect unity. Worship our Lord and Savior who died for the world, who died for us especially. So that we can properly worship him. Unstained by the blemish upon him. Free from the sin that mingles with our chorus of worship now. It will be a pure worship. With pure intention. Pure love for our brothers and neighbors. Cannot wait for that day, brothers and sisters. It can't come soon enough. I really, really anticipate that day. That day I'll know what it's like truly to be in the body of Christ. Full fulfillment of everything God has promised. What God has set about to bring about. Till then, may God bless you. Peace.